0: Well, we just sang a line in that last song, When fear assails, I find my peace in Christ alone. I'd like to talk with you about that this morning from Psalm 91. And so I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 91, a psalm that I'm assuming is familiar with most of you. And the title in my Bible is simply, The security of the one who trusts in the Lord. Psalm 91 reads, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He'll cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night, or of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes, and see the recompense of the wicked, for you have made the Lord... My refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Father, we thank you for your word and how timely it is. Lord, as we consider uh, the fear that has swept across our country and really across the world in light of recent events lord the all the talk about our national security and traveling and all those things lord that we've just been experiencing even this past week it's so comforting lord to be able to read your word and find in it truth lord that causes us to be at rest to be at peace when fear tempts to assail us. And so I pray, Father, as we look into your word this morning that your spirit would help us understand what the psalmist meant by what he said here, and Lord, that we would find great application for our lives today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I saw a clever and well-timed editorial cartoon this last week that showed a little boy eating a bowl of cereal at the kitchen table while watching the news on TV. And in the first window box, he sees a report about the crash Russian airliner in Egypt. In the second scene, he sees a report about the recent terrorist attacks in Paris. In the third scene, he sees a similar report about the terrorist attacks in Mali. And each time, his facial expression becomes more concerned. As he's munching on his cereal. The final scene shows his mother turning off the TV and hugging and consoling him. I appreciate that cartoon because I think that little boy accurately depicts a lot of people right now who are becoming more worried and scared in light of the growing number of security concerns around the world. The rise of ISIS. In recent uh, months, and the increase in terrorist attacks has fostered fear and anxiety in the hearts of many. These terror fears have sparked a, a big debate in our own country whether or not to allow Syrian refugees to, to, to enter the United States since it would be very easy for t- terrorists to, to pass through security uh, in that way. Amid the, the heightened security concerns, Following the deadly attacks in Paris, this past week, President Obama uh, addressed the nation after a meeting with his top national security advisors, and in order to reassure the American people as we prepared for the busiest traveling season of the year, he stated that there was no specific credible threats to our homeland. Our, our national security has become the, the main subject of discussion between the presidential candidates in, in the recent uh, Republican and Democrat, Democratic debates. And really all of this has, has served to remind us that we live in a fallen world where we are often exposed to all sorts of dangerous people and deadly situations that threaten, that threaten to harm us. And it would be very easy for us to Allow this reality to make us fearful and to become overly obsessed about security and protection. I'll admit that uh, this past week I had the opportunity to take my two girls, my wife and my daughter, to a show downtown. We went and saw the Phantom of the Opera. And uh, as we were sitting up there in the uh, nosebleed section, as we call it, where the, where, the, where the seats were somewhat affordable, more affordable, um, I was honestly, we were sitting there and the girls were taking it all in and I was looking for the closest exits. I was. I was preparing myself. Uh, this is kind of a, a theater and this is kind of what happened in Paris and what would happen if somebody came in as we were walked around the, the hobby center down there. Uh, I, I was looking around and, and seeing where, I, I, it seemed like I was always looking for the closest exit. And what I would do if something happened and how would I how would grab my wife and daughter and we would try to escape, um, I, w- I was thinking about that. Instead of just enjoying the time with my family and enjoying the show, um, my mind was distracted. I wouldn't say I was fearful or anxious, but I was thinking about something I normally didn't think about. And I think like that little boy in the cartoon we all could use a reassuring hug, couldn't we? And, uh, and, and just to, to have somebody tell us it's, it's going to be okay. And in Psalm 91, God provides his people with a huge hug and reassures us that everything is going to be all right. Now, all the Psalms were inspired by God and preserved by him for our benefit each and every one of them is beneficial and practical in its own special way, but, but some are especially rich and especially comforting in times of fear or anxiety or sickness or loneliness or trouble or danger, and I think this psalm in particular is one of those psalms that countless believers have turned to in the midst of life's calamities. Martin Luther loved this psalm, he turned to it often, he said this, this is the most distinguished jewel among all the psalms of consolation. C.H. Spurgeon said, in the whole collection of psalms, there is not a more cheering psalm. And my prayer this morning is that as we go through this psalm together, that, that God will use it to console us and to cheer us up in light of everything we've seen happening around the world these last few weeks. Why? Well, because Psalm 91 teaches us that absolute protection and security can only be found through a personal relationship with God. And this psalm provides great comfort and great confidence for those of us who live in a dangerous world filled with disease and disaster and death. And the psalmist here begins by expressing his own personal trust in God, for security and protection. And then he continues by encouraging us us to put our trust in God by describing all the ways that he protects those who trust in him. And then the psalm concludes with God himself showing up on the scene, if you will, And he confirms what the psalmist has been saying throughout the psalm, and he promises to protect and deliver all who know him, love him, and call out to him for help. And so we could break this psalm up into three sections there. You see the outline there uh, in the notes if you grabbed them from the back table when you came in, but we see in verses 1 and 2 the profession of faith in God's protection uh, in verses 3 through 13 the portrayal we see of god's protection and then finally in verses 14 through 16 we see the promise of god's protection and so these three sections build on one another for the purpose of not only consoling us but convincing us to completely and confidently trust in god alone for our security and protection let's look at this first Section: the profession of faith in God's protection. Verses 1 and 2, the psalmist begins here by expressing his own faith in God's power to protect him in any and every situation. And these two verses are the main point or the theme of the psalm. The psalmist says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. If you don't get anything else out of this Psalm this morning, make sure you don't miss verses one and two. Because this is the theme, this is the main point that the psalmist was seeking to make here. And so to fully understand what the psalmist was saying here, let's let's take these verses apart. Uh, And then put them back together again, all right? Let's just kind of dissect them here, and, and we'll find there are four names for God, four pictures of the protection he provides, and then three actions that we must perform in order to experience God's protection. First of all, the four names for God. What are they? Well, he says, he who dwells in the shelter of the, what? Most high. Most high, that depiction of God, emphasizes his sovereignty, that he is in control of everything. There's a second title for God or a name for God, will abide in the shadow of the who? Almighty. And that word almighty emphasizes God's sufficiency. It emphasizes his power over all things. And then we see in verse two, I will say to the Who? Lord, which emphasizes God's authority, that he is the ruler and the owner of everything. And then finally, he says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my strength, my God in whom I trust. And again, notice it's my God, which emphasizes God's intimacy, that he's a a personal God, that that while he is um, infinite beyond our human understanding, and he's, he's far, he's transcendent. At the same time, he's imminent, he's, he's close, he, he pursues us, he seeks to have a relationship with us. And so there are the four names of God. And then notice the four pictures or metaphors for God's protection. He who dwells in the, what? The shelter of the Most High. The, uh, God is likened here to a safe place to hide from a storm. Or an enemy attack, we, 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 if you grew up in the Midwest, you, you probably had a storm shelter, you had, a, had, a, had a, an, an underground uh, maybe cellar right? that you would run to and the tornado warnings would go and you'd run to this storm shelter and you'd put the hatches down, you'd, you'd bolt down the doors and you'd hide in there and you'd be safe from the storm. Or uh, during war times, there was bomb shelters and the alarms would go off, the sirens would go off and everybody would run to the bomb shelter where they would be protected. It was a safe place to hide. And so God is likened to this storm shelter, this bomb shelter. He's also likened to a shadow. He says that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That word shadow was uh, very helpful in in the day and age when this was written because the land in which they lived, uh, the sun was oppressive, it was deadly, uh, you didn't want to stay out in the sun very long, and so you needed protection from the elements, and that was what a shadow would do. This is a, a vivid metaphor for the care and protection that God provides. It, it also is able to... Uh, a shadow is, is how you can stand a sight of your enemies so they can't find you. If you ever played you know, some capture the flag game, some of you young people would appreciate this, or flashlight tag uh, at nighttime, um, sometimes... Uh, You can just find a shadow and and, and hide in the shadow or lay down in the shadow and, 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 and you can hide from the person that's looking for you just because you're in a shadow. And so God is likened to this place that protects you from the elements and also keeps you out of sight from your enemies. Thirdly, he's described as a refuge in verse two. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, again, a refuge is a place where you can flee When you're in trouble, it's a place where you can find safety and rest. It's a a safe haven. And then finally, God is likened to a fortress. My refuge and my fortress. This strong, secure tower that's impenetrable to any attack. Just think of this uh, magnificent castle with these huge walls and this moat around it. And so these are pictures of the, the protection that God provides. And then there's three actions here that we must perform to enjoy this protection that God offers. Notice it says, he who what? dwells in the shelter of the Most High, that word dwells is talking about constantly remaining in God's presence, It's a, that, that God's presence is a, a permanent place of residence. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Again, when you abide somewhere, means that you live there. It's, it's a lodging place, it's where you stay, it's, it's your home, it's not a hotel. Big difference between a hotel, you go to a hotel just to stay for a night or two, right? Uh, you don't abide there, no, you, you abide in your home, it's where you live, it's where you stay. And he says finally in verse 2, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. This means to place your faith in Him, to put your confidence in Him. Again, the psalmist is is not talking about merely believing in God or coming to Him occasionally when you're in a difficult situation or, or you're threatened by some danger and you don't know what else to do and so you cry out to Him for help. And some people are like that. The only time they ever pray is when they need something. It's the old foxhole prayer. Right? You're in there, and the, you're in the foxhole, and you haven't thought about God up until that point, but all of a sudden, you know, guys are dying around you, and bombs are going off, and bullets are whizzing, and, and you start all of a sudden to become a prayer warrior. And you start crying out to the Lord, if, if you would just deliver me, if you would just spare my life, if you save me, I promise, I promise. And so often, we, we treat God like a spare tire. I guarantee you, none of you were thinking about your spare tire when you drove up here this morning somewhere in the back of your car, right? I don't ever think about my spare tire until I need it. And then I, it better be there and it better be pumped up, filled with air and ready to go. And unfortunately, we, we treat God like that. We never even think about it. We're just driving down the road. Everything's smooth sailing. Everything's going great. We don't even think about our spare tire. But boy, when we, when we need it, when we, go, when, we, when we get a flat tire a bit, we we start thinking about it and we expect it to be ready to help us. We don't want to be that way with God. The idea here, the, 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 the psalmist is describing a person who continually spends time with God and habitually trusts in Him at all times and in all situations, both big and small. This is someone who, who as it's been said, practices the presence of God. Do you do that? Do you live that way? That you are cognizant that God is omnipresent, that he is omniscient, that he is with you wherever you are and wherever you go and whatever you're doing, whatever you're saying, he's right there listening and watching, practicing the presence of God. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, is does this, verses 1 and 2, the, the one who dwells in the shelter of the most high, who abides in the shadow of the Almighty, and who trusts in the Lord, does this describe your relationship with God? This is the kind of relationship you have with God. Can you honestly say that you have a personal, intimate relationship with God in which you regularly spend time together and that you daily spend, uh, depend on him for everything? You say, well, how do I dwell, how do I abide, how do I try, how do I do that? Well, it really comes down to the the basic spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. It's, It's spending time in this thing right here. It's spending time on your knees in prayer. It's spending time with God's people, right? That's how you dwell, that's how you abide with God, is by spending time in His Word, by spending time praying to Him, and by spending time with His people. That's how you stay close and intimate with the Lord. One commentator said this, this is what true faith is. It's a committing on, of oneself to God with full reliance on his ability to provide and protect. That's true faith. Committing yourself to God with full reliance on his ability to provide and protect. By the way, what's the opposite of fear? Faith. Faith. Faith, trusting in the Lord with all your heart. And only those who are truly committed to God through a genuine profession of faith in Him, which is then evidenced by an intimate growing relationship with Him, can be assured of His protection. And so we hear the psalmist expressing his his own profession of faith. He's making his own profession of faith in God's protection, saying, Hey, This is what I'm doing. I'm dwelling in the shelter of the Most High. I'm abiding in the shadow of the Almighty. I am saying to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. There's a personal commitment to the Lord in the heart of the psalmist. Well, then he goes on in verses 3 through 13 to give us a portrayal of God's protection, and he proceeds here to give this picturesque description of the comprehensive protection that God provides those who dwell, those who abide, those who trust in him. This is the myriad of ways that you can count on God to protect you and to keep you safe and secure. Verse 3, for it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper. Vivid image here of of a trapper who's stalking his prey and setting up traps to catch his prey. Um, This is a metaphor for anyone who's stalking us like prey, who's plotting against us and intending to endanger our lives. He'll protect you from that trapper and his snares and from the deadly pestilence, verse 3. From the dreaded diseases, the plagues, the epidemics, the, the sicknesses that, that often infect people. Verse four, he pictures God's protection as the wings of a mother bird and a, and a soldier's shield and armor. I will cover you with his, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. What a beautiful picture of that that mother bird, right, protecting her young, covering them up so the enemy cannot get them. And also his faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. Talking about the, a soldier's shield and, and armor, and that's what God's protection is like. We're shielded from the evil that comes against us. Notice verse 5, you will not be afraid of the terror by night, or of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. Interesting, he says, you will not be afraid of the terror by night. Nighttime is the scariest time of day, isn't it? Why? Because that's when we're most vulnerable to attack, at nighttime. It's just weird, isn't it? Something about nighttime. I mean, you can walk into your house like midday, come home, walk into your house and no big deal. You walk in and it's light and there's really no anxiety, there's no fear. Sometimes you walk into the house at night and you forgot to turn some lights on, right? And it's kind of creepy. And it's like, I just walked in here four hours ago when it was light, but now it's creepy. Why is that? I can be in here in the church during the day and just walking around the halls, and it's no big deal. I don't even think twice about it. I come in here at night sometimes to pick up something or do something, you know, and it's kind of creepy around here. Why is that? It's nighttime. And there's something about nighttime and fear. But our God protects us whenever and wherever at all times and in all situations. That's what the Psalms is saying here. No matter what time of day it is, morning, noon, night, God is watching. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never takes a break. He never takes a vacation. He's always watching out for us. Verse 7, A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you you only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. And this is a profound picture here of a, of, a, of a lone soldier left standing on the battlefield after everyone else has been destroyed, after everybody else has been killed. He's all there by himself. He's, he's the only one left standing. Or the picture here is that of a, a, a tornado-ravaged neighborhood, and, and, and you're looking down the street, and everyone else's house is wiped out, but yours is the only house in the neighborhood that didn't get wiped out. You just, you're just looking on and seeing the destruction around you. His point is that you'll be miraculously delivered. You, you'll come through unscathed and unharmed. You'll be a, merely a spectator in times of trouble. I think a great illustration of of these verses would be Daniel and his uh, three friends in the fiery furnace. Remember that? Nebuchadnezzar got so hot that they would not bow to him and worship him and this idol that he had made of himself, that he had the furnace heated seven times hotter and wanted to throw them in so they'd be incinerated. And uh, so he throws them in there, and a few minutes later he's looking in there, and they're just kind of walking around. And there's a fourth guy in there with him. Uh, I should say this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Beto. Daniel wasn't in there, right? But Shadrach, Meshach, and Beto, there's a fourth guy in there, and if you watched Tales growing up, he was real shiny. <laughs> I like that line in VeggieTales. He was real shiny. And, and they were spared. They were kind of walking around as spectators. They were miraculously delivered, came through unscathed, unharmed. They didn't even smell like fire. I mean, come on, you, 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 you know, light a fire in your fireplace, in your living room, and you kind of start smelling like fire after a while, don't you? Smoke kind of gets in your clothes. I mean, you walk into Starbucks and you walk out smelling like coffee, right? It's like, man, I was just in here picking up a cup of coffee for my wife and smell like a coffee bean. What happened here? Right? They didn't even smell like fire. Verse nine, for you have made the Lord my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place. Again, the psalmist is restating his theme here. He reminds us of the reason why God will protect us. And this is what we cannot forget, that the one condition that we need to meet if we want to experience God's protection is we need to trust in him rather than ourselves. I'm not saying it's, not wise to do due diligence to kind of check where the exits are it, it's not it's not i think it's um wise that that we have a security team here at our church whether you realize that or not we have secret service guys just look for the little things in their ear you know like hey i'm, I'm just waiting to find out what my code name is you know but seriously, some people are like, well, what could, why do we need a security, this is a church, why would we need a security team? Well, we think it's wise in light of the culture in which we live, and we all see on the news where things happen at churches from time to time, and it's wise to be prepared. But ultimately, we're not trusting in our security team, we're trusting in God to protect us. We need to regularly run to his presence for refuge and rely on his power and, and strength to protect us and not, not our own strength, our own power, our own wisdom, our own preparations. Again, if we, in this prepping um, society in which we live, right there's more and more people who are kind of moving out this way, <laughs> if you will, and you start to find out about them and they're like, uh, okay, you're digging your own well and you're building your big, this big storage thing and, you're di- and are you a prepper? And they're like, yeah, what's wrong with that? I'm like, there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with making preparations, making wise preparations in the light of the day in which we live. But ultimately, are you putting your trust in your, in your stuff or are you putting your trust in God? Don't lose sight of that. Verse 10, no evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. In other words, those who maintain an intimate relationship with the Lord and and spend time with him regularly and live a life of daily dependence on him are inoculated, if you will, against evil and are immune to sickness. I know there's questions in your mind right there. Hold those questions. I'm going to address that in a second. But think about the Passover Passover. What a dramatic demonstration of God's protection, God's security. And the death angel was able to distinguish between the homes of the Egyptians and the homes of the Israelites. He was able to do that and protect his people from the death angel. Verse 11, for he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. I think one of the tasks that God has entrusted to angels is to guard and protect his people. Now, I don't want to get into a big discussion about guarding angels and do they exist and, you know, are there clearances out there trying to uh, get their wings and... Um, this is the season, right, for it's a wonderful life, and, you know, do, do we all have a Clarence? And, well, hopefully we don't. We have somebody a little bit better than Clarence, right, But uh, <laughs> on our side. But, but the point is, are there guardian angels? The scripture does seem to indicate that angels guard us. Whether you have an individual guardian angel or you just have angels that guard you, it, it really doesn't matter. Uh, it's clear that angels, one of their roles is to guard and protect us. My wife is convinced that I have multiple guardian angels whenever I'm driving, because when I'm driving, I freak her out, and she's like rolls her eyes and can't believe that I haven't like come home with dents in the car, and she's just amazed that I come home every night and I'm still alive and there's no dents on our car, and uh, she's like, man, the angels, man, they were they were working hard today. I'm like, hey, babe, I believe in those guys. All right, so. Psalm 34 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues him. I love that. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. I'll never forget a story I read, just an amazing story about John Patton, who was a Scottish missionary to the cannibals who inhabited the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific. and and, and God burdened his heart to go to these, to these islands and to reach these cannibals for Christ. And so he took his wife and, and uh, their small child and they landed on the shore of one of these islands. And unfortunately, not long after, their child died. And uh, then his wife died. And it says that he actually buried his wife and child on the beach because he was too afraid to go into the woods, into the jungle, because that's where, you know, these cannibals were. And so he buried his loved ones on the beach and he actually slept on their graves so they wouldn't be dug up and eaten. And uh, eventually, as the story goes, as the testimony goes, he made contact with these cannibals and built relationship with them and and led them to Christ. And uh, again, months later, maybe years later, they were sitting around talking and uh, the chief looked at John Patton and said, I have a question for you. When you first arrived on our island, we had planned to come out and kill you, you and your wife and your child, and eat you. But we didn't. And he said, I want to know, who were all those soldiers with flaming swords surrounding your tent? It kind of gives you goose chills, doesn't it? That's pretty amazing that they were likely God's angels who were encamped around this man who feared him, and he rescued him, he delivered them. Now, you're familiar with this verse, probably from the New Testament, where it says he'll give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They'll bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. Do you remember who else? Who, Who used that verse, who quoted that verse in the New Testament? Satan. Satan knows the Old Testament. He knows scripture and he even knows he quotes the Bible. And so this is the only verse of scripture that we know of that, the devil quoted in Matthew chapter four, Luke chapter four, during the temptation of Christ. Again, he took him up to the corner of the temple, and what did he say? Hey, why don't you jump, and uh, and 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 God will miraculously save you because His Word says the angels will come; they'll swoop down and they'll protect you. And and what a great display of your power, your miraculous power, and and people will just be amazed. And the, you know, he was appealing to this to this whole idea of of, hey, you can prove that you are truly the Son of God. Well, unfortunately, Satan, or obviously I should say, Satan misquoted this verse. He was tempting Jesus to misapply this verse by being reckless and being presumptuous. It's not to say that I leave our driveway every morning and go, okay, angels, you got me, and then I just go crazy down the road in the car, right? You be careful. You don't be presumptuous. You don't be reckless. It's interesting that Satan didn't also quote verse 13, which says, You will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. <laughs> Maybe he knew this verse was a veiled reference to how Jesus would ultimately trample him and defeat him. He is known in 1 Peter 5.8 as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's also known as the ancient serpent, the dragon, in Revelation 12 and in Revelation chapter 20. So he didn't want to quote that part. Now, again, some of you may be sitting here thinking, now wait a minute, Ken, I'm not sure I agree with everything you're saying here because evil does befall believers. Christians get cancer. They get Ebola. They lose their homes in tornadoes, fires, hurricanes. They get in car accidents. They lose loved ones. Their children die. Just because you trust in God doesn't mean you're totally immune from the bad things that that happen to the rest of the people in the world. Is that true? Yeah, of course it's true. But we need to keep in mind that nothing, absolutely nothing, can ever harm a child of God unless the Lord permits it. And it will always be for God's glory and for our good. You remember all the evil that befell Joseph when his brothers took him and threw him in the pit and were going to leave him for dead and decided to sell him off to slavery into Egypt. And you know how that whole story goes and gets falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, ends up in prison and gets forgotten by the guys who said, hey, we'll make sure we put in a good word for you, and, and, and next thing you know, he's second in command to the Pharaoh. And his brothers show up in town and looking for some help, and they realize, oh, this is Joseph. This is the one that we, we tried to kill, and we sold off into slavery, and we're in big trouble. And then the moment that their dad dies, they think, oh, man, now Joseph is going to get his revenge. And they were scared. And what did Joseph say? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, everything that has has ever happened to you, everything that is happening to you, and everything that will ever happen to you, God will use for good in your life. You say, well, what good is this that I'm going? I don't see any good in what I'm going through right now. Well, he says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be, what? Conformed to the image of his son. Whatever you've been through, whatever you're presently going through, whatever you will go through in the future is to make you more like Jesus. And sometimes it's God's will For us to experience pain and heartache, so we grow and we mature in him. Consider all joy, my brothers, James 1, verse 2, whenever you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance and endurance. And then he says, let endurance, let perseverance have its perfect work so that you might be what? Mature and complete, lacking nothing. Nothing. Romans chapter 5 verse 3 we also exult in our tribulations yes we as Christians experience tribulations those who trust in God will at times experience tribulation knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope in other words God sustains us through suffering as we learn perseverance as we learn that, it develops character. And as, it, as we develop character, it strengthens our faith. And as our faith is strengthened, we increase in our hope. I came across this amazing quote from Spurgeon. Listen carefully to what he said here. He said, It is impossible that any ill should happen to the man who is beloved of the Lord. You're like, wait a minute, Ken, you're confusing me again. That's just what you got done saying. Then you said, you corrected that. And it is impossible that any ill should happen to the man who is beloved of the Lord. Spurgeon goes on to explain. He says, ill to him is no ill. You following him? Ill to him is no ill, but only good in a mysterious form. Romans 8, 28. God works all things together for... Good. Joseph, Genesis 50, 20. What you meant for evil, God means for good. So ill to you as a believer is no ill. It is only good in a mysterious form. Losses enrich him. Sickness is his medicine. Reproach is his honor. Death is his gain. So that bad thing that happened to you five years ago, 10 years ago, 25 years ago, it's really not bad, it's really good. That bad thing that you're going through right now is really not bad, it's what? Good. Just in a mysterious form. (laughs) It just doesn't look, it looks bad. But it really is good in a mysterious form. And so that's why I think the psalmist can boldly portray the immunity from evil and loss and even death of those who trust in the Lord to keep them safe from all kinds of dangers and diseases. Because, yeah, while we may experience some of these things, they're really not bad, they're good in a mysterious form. And so we see a betrayal here of the many, the myriad of ways that God protects us. And then finally here, the psalm concludes with God arriving on the scene, takes the microphone, if you will, or takes the pen, if you will, And he himself provides divine reassurance that he will stand behind what the psalmist has been claiming. He backs up everything that has been said in verses 1 through 13 and verses 14, 15, and 16. And here we, we see the promise of God's protection. God promises to save and to satiate all those who belong to him. The question is, how do you know if you belong to him? Well, let's read the verse. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with a long life. I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. This is God speaking here. And notice he, he gives us three conditions, three conditions here to enjoy his protection Number one is that we love him. Notice it says, because he has what? Love me. Literally, he clings to me. He cleaves to me. The the idea of love here is just a a commitment to obey the Lord. Because he loves me, therefore I'll deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has what? known my name in other words you long to know god better to understand him more to become more intimate with him you're pursuing a relationship with him you love him you know him and then thirdly it says he will call upon me and i will answer him and i'll be with him in trouble i will rescue him and honor him why because you pray that's how we call on him we pray And we demonstrate our dependence on the Lord. That's really what prayer is. It's a declaration of dependence on the Lord. Basically, you're saying, God, I need you. I cannot protect myself. I need you to protect me. I can buy all the guns I want. I can buy all the locks I want. I can buy all the security systems I want. I can get the highest rating, you know, crash test cars to protect my family. I I can do all this stuff. I can take all these steps and all these measures to, to make sure that, that my surroundings are safe and secure, and we childproof our home, and we make sure that the, our kids can't grab any poison and drink it or whatever things my we, we do lock our cabinets, and, 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 and I take non-essential oils, I say that, they're non-essential oils, but. But you take all this stuff, I take vitamins, man, I take all these, you know, to keep myself healthy, to avoid, you know, these preventative things, I do, I do all this, you can do all that, that's fine, that's between you and the Lord, but ultimately, what, it's, it's God who, I'm, I'm, I'm not depending on myself and my wisdom and my research and my proactivity and my training Oh, I'm trusting in the Lord, I'm, I'm praying, I'm, I'm trusting in you. So there's three conditions here, to love, to know, to call. And then notice the, the six promises, the I wills here. There's six I wills. I will deliver him, I will set him securely on high, I will answer him, I will be with him in trouble, I will rescue him and honor him with long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. I mean, that's some safety net right there. (laughs) Talk about a security system. Talk about the ultimate insurance policy here. In the end, he's talking about being saved from sin. I will let him see my salvation. He's talking about eternal security. Not just temporal security, not just national security. He's talking about eternal security. That your soul is going to be saved from sin, death, and hell. But again, this insurance policy, if you will, doesn't come without a price. There are terms that we as the insured must agree to, right? We're the ones who are being insured by our Heavenly Father. There's a deductible that we need to be willing to pay. We, we understand a deductible, right? It's the amount of money that that the insured person has to pay before an insurance agency will follow through with their part of the claim. Spiritually speaking, the deductible in this case is faith. We need to trust God in order for him to protect us. They're going to protect you if you don't trust him. But here we have in the psalm, God promising to provide protection for all of us who place our trust in him in times of trouble. Steve Lawson, in commenting on this psalm, said this, quote, we may always have confidence that God's protection is greater than any danger that threatens us. No matter how great the adversity we may face, God is bigger than the adversity and remains in full control. He is always over all, thus we must trust him completely. And so listen, those of us who who trust God completely, Because we know him, we love him, guess what? We have nothing to fear, do we? Do we have anything to fear? Absolutely not. But if you don't know God and if you don't love God, you don't depend on the Lord, guess what? You have much to be afraid of. This would be a scary place to live without Jesus Christ. Let's just face it. The world is a scary place apart from Christ. And by the way, the things that we've been seeing over the past few weeks, <laughs> ain't nothing compared to what will happen when God's wrath is unleashed on the earth. Talk about scary I mean, these things are, are just a preview of what is to come. And when the Lord returns, it will be far more devastating than a terrorist attack or a natural disaster or, or a stock market crash or whatever it is that we fear. People will not just lose their money or their homes or even their lives. They will lose their souls in hell. Paul describes this day in 2 Thessalonians 1, Verse seven, the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And when you think about Jesus, where does he fit into this psalm and this sermon this morning? Well, the first time Jesus came, he expressed his desire to gather people together the way a A mother bird, a, a hen, gathers her chicks under her wings to shield them, to protect them from the coming wrath of God. Remember what he said, "Oh Jerusalem, O oh, Jerusalem, how I long to, to, to gather you up like a, a mother bird and protect you under my wings from what was about to occur. But most of them were unwilling to repent of their sin and place their trust in him, and so instead they nailed him to a cross. And ironically, that was God's way of providing for the very people who were killing him, to be rescued from his wrath against their sinful rebellion. And when Jesus hung on the cross, the Most High God, the Almighty, poured out his wrath, the full fury of his wrath on him, so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, would not have to experience that wrath, but would have everlasting life. I heard a story about some firemen in California who were walking through an area where one of those forest fires that just seems to always be raging somewhere in California uh, had just scorched this area and they were walking through it just looking for any hot spots to to put out and and they came uh, up to this scorched, petrified bird that had just... Obviously, the, 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 the fire had moved so quickly and just, just torched this bird and, and, and petrified this bird and, and almost preserved it in, in, in place. And the fireman just nonchalantly kicked the bird over. And when he did, several baby chicks scurried out from under the mom. And they obviously had been protected from the flames under the mother's wings. I think it's a beautiful picture of how Jesus sheltered us from the fiery wrath of God. He sacrificed his own life so that we might live. And the only place to hide from God's coming wrath is in the shadow of the cross on which the almighty God died for the sins of those who are willing to trust in him. And so the ultimate question we should walk away with from this psalm is, is is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Are you trusting in Christ as your refuge from God's wrath? If you are, then guess what? Have fun applying this psalm to your life. Because all these promises in this psalm apply to you. You don't have to live your life in fear, no matter what's going on in the world around you. Now, what's going on in your family, no matter what's going on in your body, you don't have to be afraid. The closer, the tighter we cling to God, the more confident we will be. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this psalm that is really just what the doctor ordered for our souls this morning, uh, you know that uh, there's lots of reasons right now where all of us are tempted to, to be anxious, to be fearful. And it may not even be the ISIS attacks and planes being downed and um, refugees coming into our country. It may just be things that we're fearful about in our own homes. In our marriages, in our families, Lord, there's lots of things that that scare us about life. And I pray that we would, today, find great consolation, great comfort, Lord, that we would, as it were, feel you giving us a huge hug and just reassuring us that everything's going to be okay through this song, through the truth of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.